First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in the industry. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. In five, four, three, two. Hello, welcome to the Patreon side of Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm Sean P. McCarthy, joined by... Andy Palmer. Yogi Polywell. First of all, welcome to uh, our new patrons from the Matt Chrisman, uh, Nick Mullen episode. We will be and having uh, Matt Chrisman and Nick Mullen on every episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the future, excluding this one. So keep keep paying us. That's yeah. right. They're going to be off mic and also not in the same room. So Yeah, yeah that, that episode where we got the two funniest people in podcast together, that's a pretty consistent barometer mm-hmm. for the kind of mm-hmm. quality you can expect from here on out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, uh, but thank you for joining us. We're talking this week about Tom Steyer, is, uh, of course, the newest presidential candidate. And uh, Tom Steyer's worth about $1.6 billion. Well, maybe we'll just start by letting the man introduce himself. Because he did just cut a video running for president, and uh, he does give a little biography there. So maybe we should give him a fair hearing and let him share why he thinks he should be the president of the United States. Right, from the donkey's mouth. Yes. I was born in 1957. I grew up right in the middle of the Civil Rights Revolution and the Vietnam War. The underlying injustice in America was coming under attack. My father graduated from Yale Law School at 21, started being a lawyer, then he went into the Navy because of Pearl Harbor. And then at the end of the war, they sent him over to be assistant to the chief prosecutor at Nuremberg. I think my father looked at being in the service or being at Nuremberg as like, you have your duty, you do it. My parents were very uncompromising. Crazy that his dad defended doing the right thing. <laughs> his wife for worth an estimated billion and, and a half it, dollars. They pledged to you give know, half I, of their. I'm surprised because I thought the guy who played Funkhauser and Curb Your Enthusiasm had died. <laughs> but it's nice to know he's still kicking. I like how his main lessons from his uh, father's role as a prosecutor in Nuremberg was, uh, you can make a lot of money investing in camps. (laughs) Uh, Tom Steyer invested in a private prison. First, we'll start with his hits. Um, He, before running for president, he was probably most well-known for running a series of ads. He spent, what was it, $40 million on Mm -hmm. a series of ads calling for Trump to be impeached. And after that roaring success, he decided, you know what, I'm going to run for president. Well, because Trump's impeached now, so yeah, yeah. he succeeded in that yeah, goal, and now cleared, he's moving. Cleared out the seat. That's right, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, 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 that's what you do if you're a hedge fund billionaire. You get a real return on investment for $40 billion. <laughs> he also funded something like 11 Million. different uh, seats for Congress in 2014 and had a 40% success rate. Oh, that passing grade, 40%. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, like, he's a major Obama funder who just happened to get a lot of private access to the White House, a lot of private meetings, Rahm Emanuel, everyone else, uh, John Podesta, uh, who was, of course, head of Obama's transition. And he just happened to be a major investor in uh, coal companies during that time So and a pipeline that competed with Keystone XL. So it's like, you know... There's no way of, unless you have subpoena power, proving that there was wrongdoing there, but <laughs> it is something where he, he rails about, and you know it, a lot of the things he's saying in his campaign are like, well, yeah, that's a perfectly sensible thing, but it's like, well, yeah, you got rich doing that. Right. right. That's, that's what a, a billionaire does, is they leverage their government connections and uh, make the world a worse place for their own profit. Yeah, it's the, the pigs in uh, Animal Farm saying that no one should sleep in beds, but I get to do it every night. But instead of pigs in beds, it's I'm going to destroy the earth. And then a few years later, I'm going to pretend like I love the earth. Um, but so, oh yeah, so according to the LA Times, um, in 2005... Tom Steyer invested in uh, $34 million in Corrections Corp of America, which runs migrant detention centers on the U.S.-Mexico border for ICE. But first, let's wait, wait. Before we get too deep into this, let's take a look back at the early days of Tom Steyer. Where'd he come from? Yogi? He was born in 1957, like we just heard, in Manhattan. You know, that uh, place that... Never uh, been. (laughs) You're right. 
Uh, his dad, uh, as we just heard, was a lawyer and he was a prosecutor at the Nuremberg yeah. trials. His, his dad was the guy who planted all that evidence <laughs> on those Nazis. <laughs> His uh, mom was a teacher of remedial reading. You know, when I saw that, I thought Look, she- if you go on the internet, you can read about how the American prosecutors lied about statistics and uh, made up a bunch of fake memos and tortured <laughs> confessions. <laughs> and same that, thing going on in ICE. That's, yeah, how, that's know, where he learned it Exactly. From. That's, that's how he learned his injustice, was <laughs> his father's role in the, the, the prosecutorial abuse of the century called the <laughs> Einsatzgruppen trial, <laughs> where they hanged those innocent men, half of whom had PhDs. <laughs> Nobody with a PhD would just go into Russia and start lining up people in mass graves. What? Why would you ever do that? Yeah. If you accept if you wanted to make money off of it. I was thinking, I don't know if this would be funny to anybody, but so uh, Dasha from the Red Scare podcast, her family's from Belarus, and a bunch of them were killed from the Einsatzgruppen. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking it'd be good if the, like, the Einsatzgruppen was like, yeah, we're just doing this to protect marginalized communities <laughs> from slurs. <laughs> but do it in a Belarus accent. Yeah. Like, oh my God, if if we don't kill her entire family, there will be so many people who hear ableist slurs <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> and you know what? We have, as, as social justice warriors, which is, of course, what the, the SS stands for. Of course. Super social justice <laughs> warriors. I'm pretty sure it's super saiyan. <laughs> Why does Reddit say I'm the worst one? (laughs) (laughs) I fucking told Andy not to read this thread, at least until after we record, because it's like, you know. It's not like, hey, it's going to hurt your feelings. It's like, hey, wait until it's of uh, maximal utility for you to read that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but lots of people like you, Andy. There's just one comment that happens to have five upvotes that says you (laughs) suck. So there are six people who don't. No, actually, it starts with one upvote by default. So there are five it has two so far (laughs) he's got a whole analysis about like the structure and the dynamics of the podcast and he's like but you know you know sean brings this yogi brings this steven brings this but andy just brings the drops and the bad jokes (laughs) i haven't read this yet i didn't realize it was a whole uh, expose on our show yeah 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 no i think i i it's a guy who really knows how to podcast well uh, andy in fairness you said it has two upvotes but one of those was me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, on our Carlisle group episode, yeah. uh, uh, we t- it mentions like Connor Arpel on it, and yeah. it has like one comment, and it's just someone saying, "This is ableists." They're <laughs> <laughs> gonna love my Dasha Einsatz group and Joe. <laughs> Keep the Reddit comments coming, ladies and gentlemen. It's yeah. only killing us slowly. No, it's just something where it's like you you read one bad comment uh, off. Um, I, I don't know, Sean. I don't think you're reading any bad comments. <laughs> no, I, I did. A they love you. You're their favorite on the Reddit. Well, that's nice. Uh, but yeah, I they mean, love you and your rat face and voice. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought I recognized that comment from Reddit. <laughs> Has Yogi been talking shit about me on Reddit? Yeah, that was Yogi. <laughs> No, but it's something where, of course, I guess we should maybe mention this for a minute. We we did the episode with, with Matt Christman and Nick Mullen. We're very grateful that they did it. And just like as fans of both of them, I was very thrilled to just like have them in the room together and stay at, out of the way as much as possible. But it was something... And as a fan, I wanted to get in the way as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, so... Essentially, like, uh, I will go when I'm on my lunch break on, like, the Comtown Reddit, and it is almost a perverse thrill where it's like you'll see them talking shit about comedians you know, and, you know, there's, like, a dark part of yourself that's like, oh, this is interesting. But, of course, you know, when we did the Chrisman uh, Mullen episode, I had to be like, I'm not going to look at the Comtown Reddit. I'm not going to look at Red Scare because the reality is comedy is totally subjective, you know? There's... Uh, there's people that like us and there are people who will never think that we're funny or understand us. And you know, that's, that's fine. That's just the way it is. You're going to drive yourself insane. If you ever try to get a hundred percent laughs, you know, you, the best you can hope for is 90, 95% of people think you're funny. Andy. Uh, uh, see drops would have been perfect right now. Oh yeah, fucking Sean guys, is Sean's killed. Fucking drop no, on the show. No, I didn't do shit. And I'm the lone voice yelling about uh, drops. This is the you... new drop. Oh, well, it could be worse, Sean. It could yeah. just be me doing. I didn't schoolboy Q saying, uh, <laughs> uh, "No, nah, man, that's some white shit." I like that one. Yeah. No, I didn't kill. Dr- that's the other thing. We should wait, Andy. Stop. <laughs> 
we should mention that that you people on Reddit were so mean to Andy that he unplugged his <laughs> drops keyboard. No, it's plugged in. It's just on uh, Alien Lead. Yeah, he brought he brought his drops keyboard. The only drop now is the damn it riff. He. <laughs> He brought his drops keyboard and I said, he was asking me about the Reddit reviews when we were walking in and I was like, yeah, they were mostly positive, but there was like you one. You brought up the Reddit reviews. No, I thought you did. <laughs> I wasn't trying. I said there was one like negative one and I, but I tried to avoid them. And then you asked and I was like, well, yeah, they, the guy didn't like you, but don't look at it until after we record. And then, you know, and now this person, this this arsonist on Reddit this fucking heathen. has deprived us of Eve Pizer saying, I'm a socialist. It's ruined the dynamic of the show, if you ask me. I don't even know what the Grubstakers are if we don't have socket to me every 15 seconds. Yeah. Well, uh, now all we have is Blink-182 and MIDI form. God, you, not only did you take the regular drops away, you made them worse. <laughs> This is just chopsticks. This is terrible. This isn't chopsticks. No, I'm, I'm saying... Damn it. It's at least got a cool... cool. Uh, all right. All right. Nobody uh, wants to listen to this, Andy. We, Please I, stop. I am... I am we, uh, yeah, we got to dump like a bunch of this shit. <laughs> I'm so happy this is the last episode I have to edit for a little uh. while. <laughs> Very happy about this. Um... So going back to the bio of Tom Steyer, avoiding our rants on who doesn't hate what from Reddit, i.e. drops. Uh, Tom Steyer was born in Manhattan in 1957. His uh, dad was a lawyer, like we mentioned, and his mom was a remedial reading teacher at Brooklyn House of Detention. Do you guys know what remedial reading is? Uh, yeah, when you can't read. I like how his dad was a lawyer who prosecuted the, his contemporary equivalent of Reddit commenters. <laughs> <laughs> Also known as war criminals. <laughs> Remedial reading actually is not like just uh, special education teaching. It's like literally, if you're someone, if you're a kid and you don't, you've got a couple of holes in your education. Remedial reading can take care of that. So it's mm-hmm. like uh, not tutoring, not special ed teaching, but somewhere in the middle of that, essentially. So she taught like Polish people, Italians. <laughs> uh, she taught sure. Polish people, Italians. Yeah. Polish people and Italians oh, and others oh, who just saying. don't gotcha. understand. Right. The I thought, Irish. I thought, I thought you meant they taught. She taught Polish people Italian, like the language. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck Sean's saying right now. You think R. Kelly's gonna come out of prison knowing how to read? <laughs> no, the rehabilitation center is not that good. <laughs> uh, so she, uh, she. Oh, we should just mention though. Tom Steyer grows up in like absolute affluence. Yeah. No, he grows up. Grows up in I think the Upper West Side. Um, uh, well, he, yeah, you're right. Wait, he does goes, hanging Nazis pay? well they got to take all the gold so yeah oh yeah yeah you know i will say we did get a handful of the shows anti-semitic and uh (laughs) they said that we only we mostly reviewed jewish billionaires and that during sean's comment on patreon the patreon post on reddit he asked about this but the host didn't get back so which is it grubstakers host reading this and i just looked at that thread and thought oh man I never thought being anti-Semitic would shut us down before sexism <laughs> and racism, but here we are, ladies and gentlemen. I did like listen to some of the old episodes, and I had a very thin veneer of irony <laughs> over my <laughs> contempt for the Jewish people. You had? Yeah. Well, no, I've, I feel like I've toned it down a bit, where it's like before I was doing ironic anti-Semitism, whereas now I'm just doing actual obsession with the Nazis from like a sheer, you know... Perspective of admiration. <laughs> All I know is we lost the drops and we lost the ass-eating conversation. And I'm willing to let one go, but not the other. Mm -hmm. And Tom Steyer does not eat the butt, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get that out right now. Yeah, well, he converted. You can't. If you're an Episcopalian, you can't eat butt anymore. (laughs) That's the first thing that makes you stop. First, we're getting rid of the Pope. Uh Mm -hmm. Then we're getting rid of (laughs) ass-eating. In that order? Yeah, that's what the tutors uh, were really... Tutors, if they're known for anything, it's getting rid of the Pope and eating that ass. Yeah. (laughs) They had to stop worshiping the patron saint of ass eating. <laughs> <laughs> That's because uh, in an Episcopalian church, uh, the uh, everyone is considered a patron saint of ass eating. Hmm. Getting back to Tom Stayer's bio, uh, he has. When around was he born? Like fifties, nineteen fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. He has two brothers, uh, Jim Stayer and Hume Stayer. H U M. His dad, after hanging that Nazi, was just building up a nut for like ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is going to be so powerful. It is going to create a billionaire. That's how turned on I am 
watching that fucking SS man have his neck snapped at the gallows. <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned that because his older brothers, Jim and Hume, are both lawyers. And right. he, uh, Jim Steyer went... You don't know my theory? Yeah. Is that um, he couldn't get it up after he couldn't get the uh, Albert Spear deal for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why couldn't he get, say, so, why couldn't get it up then? Uh, it just uh, He was too horrified that he couldn't let them all deny it. <laughs> Is like, uh, man, my column looked just like Albert Spears. <laughs> so straight and white. It's perfect. Um, his uh, older brother, Jim, is a TA with his mom with a remedial reading. And Jim certainly gets into like, I like being a helpful person and a nice guy. And because his their father is a lawyer and his mom is remedial reading, they've got like a core like niceness logical side to all of them that i think tom is just really jealous he didn't have because tom mm. wasn't a lawyer and for the most part i think he hates kids <laughs> no. um he doesn't hate kids but i think he's definitely jealous of jim because jim stayer uh created uh, a whole bunch of programming that was like education tv um the famous chet jackson was one of the shows hmm. uh jim Steyer uh, helped produce and wait uh, so these are both older brothers right he's the youngest yes tom okay. is the youngest and these are both older brothers uh the famous chet jackson if you uh, don't know uh, the the main actor of that show uh his name is lee thompson young uh committed suicide a couple of years ago can we, can we put that on tom i think so okay i think that uh we'll on the record pinning that on tom. I, think, I think uh jim stayer's pressure on uh on the famous Jet Jackson. Yeah, he, was he too committed much. suicide shortly after he was seen leaving Jeffrey Epstein's mansion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can necessarily uh, ping this on the Stair family, but I do think that if it wasn't for them, we still might have the famous Jet Jackson. Mm. Anyway, so uh, Jim also is. You know, a, it is kind of a, a tragedy that, so, I mean, I, I'm not to jump ahead, but Tom Steyer, he does his hedge funding on the West Coast. Right. Which I think is the only reason he is not named in the Epstein papers. <laughs> <laughs> like, had he stayed in New York, this guy wouldn't be a presidential candidate because there would be photos of him leaving the fucking mansion. Right, right. Among other things. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean,. Well, yeah, it, he would probably be higher on the list of presidential candidates if there were <laughs> yeah. photos of him. I will say that. I mean, let's count down the last four. We got a 50%. Uh, yeah, that's the fair. Epstein friend. All right. Yeah, Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'll seen, say 75. I'm going to say yeah. uh, Obama was there too. Yeah, why not? Who's seen leaving the the mansion with the eyes wide shut mask? Just like the most powerful pedophile, <laughs> like doesn't even take the mask off out in public. Jim Steyer has been uh, teaching classes at Stan- Stanford University in political science, and he taught uh, Cory Booker, Susan Rice, and Chelsea Clinton, who Jim Steyer raved was such a star student that he hired her as a teaching assistant and research aide. Um, so uh, another Clinton connection to a billionaire. You just couldn't get over how uh, dignified uh, Chelsea Clinton's friend Jeslyn Maxwell was. <laughs> her perfect etiquette and her seeming knowledge of everyone involved in the Victoria's Secret catalog selection process. <laughs> so I think we we can all agree there's like a huge hypocritical line that Tom Steyer. Uh, uh, waivers on, which is that he made all of his money from uh, fossil fuels, and then now claims he's an environmentalist. He, he no, he didn't. Okay, here's the thing: he didn't make all his money off fossil fuels, uh, and his reason for going with the fossil fuels thing, it, or for uh, what he says now in interviews, is that you know the job of a hedge fund is to destroy ha- the earth, have a wide <laughs> array insider trading of uh, investments over all sectors of the economy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's, he didn't just like invest in, in fossil Refund. fuels; he also invested in private prisons. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's like he was saying: the job of a hedge fund is to always refund Jeffrey Epstein one hundred percent of his money <laughs> if he loses any, because you have to do that. That's that's the rule of Epstein. But um, I guess before we get into what he was actually investing in, we should close out his early biography because it's like, I mean, there's not extensive details. To the best of my knowledge, that's not just straight up Tom Steyer press releases. But we mentioned, you know, so his dad's a prosecutor at Nuremberg. His mom is a teacher. But they grow up very wealthy in Manhattan. Um, Did they, like, inherit money? Because, I mean, I don't know if being... No, his dad went into finance. That's what it was. No, they didn't inherit money. They... they (laughs) 
you know, his dad made it on his own, but essentially all the Steyer kids had all the connections they would need for the rest of their lives by the time they were in their early 20s. Um, Tom Steyer attends the Buckley School and Phillips Exeter Academy. His, his, dad, his dad made it in finance because somebody had just gotten rid of all the other bankers. <laughs> Uh, great. More Reddit comments about anti-Semitism. I don't think they listened to the Patreon side yet. <laughs> um, who else went to the Phillips Exeter Academy show? Oh, yeah. I was saying I read that uh, one of Abraham Lincoln's sons oh, wow. went to the... So this is like... He goes to a very elite prep school on the right. Upper East Side. And so he... Not much more is known about his uh, early school time, but he graduates from Yale mm-hmm. uh, in economics and political science and was the captain of the Yale soccer team. Hmm. Um, and then he gets his uh, MBA at Stanford Business School, where he was an R.J. Miller Scholar. I don't even know what the fuck that is. But uh, he is, you know, he credits Stanford as a lot of the... In- in- he left Germany around 1945, <laughs> was in Bolivia for a while, <laughs> just kind of hanging out, waiting for the shit to blow over. <laughs> After graduating from Yale, he begins his first job at Morgan Stanley in 1979. And 79. Oh. he spends two years at Morgan Stanley and then goes to Stanford Business School where he gets his MBA. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he would join Goldman Sachs from 1983 to 1985. Mm-hmm. And it was in this time where he certainly learned the tricks and the trades to become the billionaire he is. Yeah. And then he had something like 11 million in startup capital and started his own hedge fund. Wait, but just I don't want to skip the Goldman Sachs thing because it should be noted. And I tried to dig and find anything linking to this, but he's at Goldman Sachs. He's in the mergers and acquisitions unit. Right. Uh, and he's under a uh, former Treasury Secretary and uh, absolute criminal scum, <laughs> Robert Rubin. Uh, so Robert Rubin was his boss at, in mergers and acquisitions at Goldman Sachs during this time. Robert Rubin, of course, went on to be uh, a Treasury Secretary during Clinton and then uh, was one of the people who, of course, got um, Glass-Steagall repealed so that Citigroup could exist because right. Citibank and um, the Travelers Group or whatever it was called uh, were not allowed to exist under the Glass-Steagall law because it was a bank and an insurance company. So as Treasury Secretary, he gets that repealed and then goes on after the White House to be on the board and chairman of uh, Citigroup. Oh, what a coincidence. Yeah. So that's the guy who was his boss at um, <clears throat> at Goldman Sachs mergers and acquisitions. But the other thing I wanted to highlight, you said 83 to 85. Yeah. Again, this is right around. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but... Uh, Mergers and acquisitions was the main area of insider trading at the time. And I Googled a little bit. I couldn't connect Tom to any uh, suspicious SEC investigations Mm -hmm. or whatever. If you happen to know something I missed, please shoot us an email. But it's just something where there is no way he didn't at least see that shit going on. If at least, if not directly participate himself. That's just the way it worked where Goldman had the best information. So, uh, Again, in the book Den of Thieves, like a uh, uh, gold and part of the Michael Milken thing, a Goldman banker was actually convicted. But if you had a contact at Goldman, you would definitely call them because yeah. they had the best information and they could split the profits and you could trade on that information. And as we've mentioned, th- these people grew up with contacts up their ass because of their high society position in Manhattan from their folks and then his older brothers becoming lawyers as well. So mm-hmm. when it comes to the connections and the friends and family necessary to become a billionaire, this motherfucker had a silver spoon up his ass mm-hmm. for eating purposes. As God said to King Henry VIII when he was personally dictating the rules of Episcopalianism. Hey, so like, what do wasps think of Episcopalians? Because I know nothing about uh, y'all's groups. Uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, I think it's 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 just the Anglican Church. They're like... Um, do one of you groups think the other one is stupider? Not really. It's just... <laughs> I mean, I, I think it uh, arose out of... I think the popular conception, which is probably doesn't trace to reality, was that... It's a church that was started because uh, King Henry VIII really wanted to get his dick wet all over the place. <laughs> sure. And the Pope was like, you can't get a divorce. And he's like, fuck you, I'll make my own church. Right, sure. Uh, I don't think that's the actual history of it, but it's uh, sure fun to pretend that it is. There's a guy who ate butt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, just to be clear, I wanted to correct myself. Bob Rubin was, uh, after he left the Clinton White House, he was, the, uh, d- uh, was director and senior counselor of Citigroup. Mm. So he was on the board, but he wasn't like the chairman. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I guess director. Mm. Well, was he director or was he the ch- chair? 
So the Farallon Group uh, was started by Tom Steyer after he, uh, with his own money, had, as I, saw, I might have said earlier, if it wasn't cut, $11 million. And uh, essentially it was a hedge fund. And their big innovation was that they got uh, universities to invest their endowments through mm-hmm. them. Uh, it started out with him going to Yale and uh, then he kind of... Well, sorry, we are skipping a step too because he's, uh, he's at Goldman Sachs. We don't know exactly why he leaves. He's at Goldman Sachs for two years. And then from a Yale contact, he gets a job at another uh, private equity firm. This is, uh, what is it? Fried- yeah, Friedman and Hellman. Uh, so he's working at Friedman and Hellman. He gets from a Yale classmate. He gets this connection to get a job, which is like another thing we've uh, mentioned a fair bit, I think, is that to be a billionaire, a self-made one or whatever right. the case, if you go to these elite schools, you get the elite connections that regular people just don't have access to. Well, it's like it's not even just like elite connections. It's just like, oh, if you go to the schools with rich people, you meet other rich people who will make it easier to yeah. make you rich. Yeah, it's the it's, you know, every elite academy you know, talks up their fucking, you know, alumni plus the people that go there because it's it's really what you're paying for. Yeah. The education across the board is, you know, relatively similar, uh, you know, ups and downs here and there. But for the most part, what you're paying for is to be slightly closer to the people that can pay your bills the next time you need money. Yeah. So the private equity company is called Hellman and Friedman, and it's still in business. And again, we mentioned the 80s is really the golden years for leveraged buyouts, right. where they're just straight up asset stripping companies in a way that was actually forbidden from the tax code. Oh, really? Like, so... Um, and again, I, I wasn't able to connect him to any particular deals at Hellman and Friedman. He was only there for a couple of years, but the entire business model was, particularly in the 80s, uh, what we've called essentially legalized bust outs, where you will, um, uh, like asset stripping was at its worst, where they would go in and just buy a company and uh, spin off the individual parts with like massive layoffs, and they wouldn't even until this loophole was closed, they wouldn't have to pay taxes on the profits they get from spinning off individual parts of it. Hmm. Um, So Hellman and Freeman, they're still around. They're still kind of one of the many uh, vicious private equity firms out there. But uh, he was only there for a minute. Right, so So he would have been there most likely in 85 because he leaves Goldman Sachs in that year. And then a year later in 1986, he founds Fairland Capital. Mm -hmm. So at Fairland Capital, he, uh, yeah, he, that's basically how he made his... um, Big his, his fortune, yeah. Right. It was and just we should mention he starts. He gets fifteen million in seed capital. So he get. You said he started on Wall Street in like what eighty three. Well, and so then, at seventy nine, he's at Morgan Stanley, and then spends two years going to uh, business school. Do you know what he's doing at Morgan Stanley? You know what? I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but you got to think about it this way. It's right after Yale. So whatever job he got at Morgan Stanley couldn't have been more intensive than a, you know, what an internship essentially right. is. Because it's just, you know, a job for a college grad pre-business uh, degree is not going to be anything too, like, close-ups to what the higher-ups are doing. But it's essentially to get more connections and to learn the inner workings of business to then further your career on the next uh, next steps. Yeah, it's something where, I mean, essentially, I would say he was getting a very well-paid Wall Street job yeah. for, like, after he gets his MBA, right. so, like, three years. And you have to imagine he graduates without any student debt, because, again, he goes to the fucking elite Abraham Lincoln Sons Academy. Think, I don't think he can spell debt. I think, yeah. I think he's unsure of that. But it's, like, it's something where, just according to reports, he has $15 million in seed capital in 1986 dollars to start Farallon. And uh, I don't know how much of that was his own money. I don't know how much was friends and family. Um, I'm sure he made some money working on Wall Street, and I'm sure he got um, some former clients to invest and... Uh, you know, it's just something where, again, the rich get richer, the poor don't get a fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, the reality is is that he's connected to so many communities from elementary school to his MBA program that it literally could have been in any one of those uh, communities that he found how to get the, the seed money for his original group, the Fairland Capital mm-hmm. Investment Firm, headquarters in San Francisco, California. And uh, Farallon would make a very uh, good and charitable reputation, just uh, strip mining rainforests and uh, <laughs> operating uh, concentration camps uh, filled with children. I, I don't see what's wrong with it. It's legal, huh? What's wrong with legal activities? Oh, the rich aren't supposed to get rich by doing things that are immoral and obviously bad for society, even though they're legal? How dare you, Sean? 
Yeah, I don't see what's wrong with it. It's legal. Is also a defense people said to his father <laughs> <laughs> during the trials at Nuremberg. Um, but so I guess we could just kind of go through some of his environment because we should mention here his his actual presidential campaign is. His main message is global warming. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the things he says, like, you know, corporate personhood is kind of a problem that should be dealt with. Like, I agree with that. Or corporations are never going to put the interests of people first. By the way, his campaign website, uh, I don't know if it exists. It's nearly impossible to find. But there, if you look it up, the first link is an ad on Google for donate to Tom Steyer 2020. You know that that guy who's going to spend a hundred million of his own money on this shit. Yeah, he's promised <laughs> to spend more than anyone else to run for president. Uh, basically, promising to be an oligarch, and also you can't find uh, a website where he states his positions. Just the donate <laughs> link. I mean, he's the Koch brothers of the liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. That's that's essentially who he is. Well, and it should be noted, like essentially, the Koch brothers and uh, Mercers and others actually do a lot of their spending in ways that avoid disclosures, like through you know these what a, uh, the pack the super PACs and such. Right, like there right. are various ways of setting it up so that you don't have to disclose who your donors are, and then you can spend money through that. Yeah. But as far as disclosed donors, Tom Steyer was actually the highest for election spending in 2014 and 2016. Right. He spent 67 million 2014 election, 87 million 2016 election. So he's like, yeah, I mean, he's very influential within the Democratic Party, and we mentioned these meetings with Obama, so maybe we'll get back to that in a second, but. I think it's entirely possible that he, act, based on his active trading during the Obama years, it is entirely possible that he leveraged his government connections to make money. Real quick as well, I just want to mention, in 1986, when he forms Farallon Capital, is also when he marries uh, Kat Taylor, his wife, who uh, graduated from Harvard College and earned a JD MBA from Stanford School of Business, where I believe they met at that mm-hmm. time. Um, she's also... I couldn't find much on it, but she comes from money as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's put it this way. If you went to Harvard in the 80s, you're connected to some amount of capital that most people aren't. There's, It's not necessarily true for 100% of the people at Harvard, but a good percentage of them have enough capital to go to Harvard. Yeah, if, if you've gone to Harvard at any time in the last 40 years, you are directly implicated in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kat Taylor and uh, uh, Tom Steyer will start a few charities that we'll discuss in a moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm looking up now. Uh, in uh, a PBS uh, overview of mm-hmm. candidates' issues on immigration, he wants to fight deportation and expand services for immigrants. And he's already donated $1 million to legal aid groups, uh, which isn't quite as much as he's invested in the CCA, the Corrections Corporation of America, when he was at Farallon, mm-hmm. um, which runs 61 facilities across the United States. This includes 34 state prisons, 14 federal prisons, nine immigration detention centers, <laughs> wow. and four jails. And it owns 50 of these sites. And they have a no vacancy policy, which is uh, written into their contracts that there be occupation occupancy guarantees by the state that... <laughs> Um, it's basically a minimum of incarcerated people to go to these private prisons. Mm. Fucking crooks. Yeah. So, uh, wait guys, Tom Steyer though, every day draws a cross on his left hand to remind him to be good in a ballpoint pen. So, I mean, he's quirky like that and I think we should respect him because anybody that draws on a hand, pretty relatable. Uh, on his website, he has the, uh, top five rights that everyone should have and, the uh, second one is the right. You to have clean. the right to speak to an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. The uh, second one is the right to clean air and clean water, which uh, brings something us he provides to the uh, Mollus Creek coal mine, which is a coal mine in Australia, funded largely uh, by the Fairlawn Group. Um, it's one that is so controversial. Um, it's killed uh these rare uh white oak trees i guess why they gotta be white that are pretty uh you know because it's australia (laughs) and then they are so good at being racist they are pretty good at being racist uh not better than america but pretty good it's led to i don't know amy therese lives there (laughs) (laughs) it's it's led to uh so much backlash that there's even a documentary called black hole um 
focus on one. the people fight, <laughs> fighting the coal. Um, Are you sure it's not one? about eating bud? <laughs> <laughs> no, Sean, that's called brown hole. Oh. Um, yeah, basically, uh, at, it, it's going to be producing 13 million tons of coal each year until 2034. Oh, hell yeah. And it was purchased while he was a uh, CEO of the Farallon Group right before he, you know, quote unquote, divested and then decided to become an environmental activist. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that in his head, he's like, oh, well, I had no choice. I had to make money for my investors and investing in coal was part of it because a big part of what Farallon Group did with coal is it would uh, target undervalued mines and then give high interest rate loans to people to develop them. Mm-hmm. And then because of the high interest rates, um, essentially the companies that invested in the mines uh, would be highly incentivized to ramp up production as high as possible right, right. Uh, in order to pay back these high interest loans. And so he basically jump-started a lot of that. He also jump-started a lot of uh, Indonesia's um, coal mining. And this whole time, you know, he could have said like as... Let's uh, let's give uh, high interest loans to mine operators in countries with horrific labor abuse <laughs> records and see what happens. And this whole time, he could have said, you know, let's divest from these horrific, um, you know, uh, let's polluting. try to not be shitty. Yeah, I think just, that'd be right. One other thing on his Australia mine from the L.A. Times, uh, the. To do that, they had to overcome massive protests from environmentalists. They won permission to clear 3,700 acres of forest that served as a koala habitat. <laughs> uh, and like Andy said, they mined 12 million tons of coal per year. Yeah, it got and, so bad that like uh, um, one of the national like sports celebrities like uh, from a, a, a soccer team called the Wallabies... <laughs> Uh, ha- even got arrested for chaining himself to mine equipment. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't give a fuck what the other wallabies think. I'm protesting this mine. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have time to watch the documentary Black Hole, but I or all of it. But I did click around it, and I was a little distracted by how fun everyone's <laughs> accent was. <laughs> You're like, yeah, there was a lot of political corruption. <laughs> He was uh, he was arrested for chaining himself to the thing, but it was actually totally unrelated. He just went out drinking one night. <laughs> was, uh, had one too many fosters. Yeah, and um, Australian for bear. So yeah, his his entire background is heavily uh, in conflict with uh, his his new persona. It's it's yeah. sort of like you know who the, when you go to college and try to rebuild who you are. Like he's he's basically and every time he tries to Andy, run, for don't something. give the Reddit posters ammo to use against you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how does that? Where, where's the ammo in that one? You're being elitist, buddy. No, not everyone goes to college. You're projecting, so they're gonna say, "Oh, he tried to rebuild himself in college, and so now this is a new angle of attack against Andy." Man, you have such a bully mindset. (laughs) I mean, you do, Sean. Let's be honest there. I spent a lot of time on the Opie and Anthony Reddit, which in turn spread to like the Cumbtown Reddit and every other. So that's like the psychology. It's like attack weakness because we're bored during our lunch break. And this... Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can drop that. But but I I did... Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting how he's gone from you know cutthroat investor who became a billionaire to someone who is trying to completely change his public yeah, image. Yeah, fucking wuss. Yeah, and he's and he's doing it in this way where it's clearly for vanity mm-hmm. because like, you know, even if he does give significant amounts of money and you know, clearly in a very inefficient um, Oh yeah, incorrectly. Yeah, he's given away millions, you know, tens of millions to accomplish nothing. Yeah, you can give tens of millions to me, and I'll get nothing done. It won't be <laughs> well, that hard. I mean, it accomplished making him famous. Like that's the thing. It's like it's such a bullshit campaign to spend forty million on this impeachment. And like one thing he did was he bought ad time during Fox and Friends morning show because sure, he right. knows Trump runs that. And it's like, okay, so you're giving money directly to Fox News, and what did you have to show for it? Trump tweeted about how you're an insane, crazy yeah, person. Right. Yeah. And it's like. Okay, that does nothing for anybody except for you. It raises your profile. Now you're more famous and you can leverage that. So it's just such a fucking waste of money except for his own vanity. 
I mean, unfortunately, though, I do think that when Tom drops out, whoever he wants to back will have just that much more leverage over the other candidates because they've got a billionaire in their back pocket. In advertising on Fox News is not even in his top 100 most evil investments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was probably like, oh, that means, you know, one less ad that's going to scam old people out of selling all their gold. <laughs> Um, or buy a reverse mortgage, but we, we were just... Uh, no, I think they deserve to buy Iraqi dinar <laughs> for the crime of watching Fox and Friends. <laughs> we were uh, we were just talking to someone who said that, you know, Tom Steyer is the most uncharismatic person <laughs> in the world, and no amount of money could make him president, uh, which I would counter with, if you've ever listened to a speech by Michael Bloomberg, who was uh, reelected three times completely on the merit of pouring as much money right, as possible right. into his campaign, or at least elected three times, not reelected, reelected sure. twice. Mm-hmm. Like, but won it a couple of times and is extremely uncharismatic. Is, yeah, he's just a vacuum of charisma. Like he just phonetically reads out Spanish <laughs> and does not give a shit. Um, and doesn't divest any of his Wall Street holdings and quadruples his net worth during the time he's Quint- mayor. Quintuples. Quintuples. Sells Bloomberg terminals that are just fancy monitors that do jack shit but make more money for the Bloomberg empire. Mm-hmm. Has sex with children on videotape in Jeffrey Epstein's <laughs> mansion. Not allegedly. We're no, on the Patreon yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. It happened. Yeah. For fact. One thing I want to mention... We're, we're, we're not going to publish this for two weeks because we know it's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> we got the tip off. I mean, if that if that comes out, this one's going on the free side. <laughs> uh, sorry, you were saying... One yeah. thing I want to mention is in 2006, Tom Stare and his wife Kat Taylor founded One Roof. It's a business designed to bring technology to rural India. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, I am an Indian individual and I looked into this horse shit. And essentially, they were building uh, places so that kids and people could access the internet in India. Now, that's funny, because I thought One Roof was his company that sold subprime mortgages. (laughs) 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 Or negative One Roof. (laughs) (laughs) This uh, One Roof company starts in 2006, and an article that was written in 2008 talked about how they had built 10 different internet centers in India to help the community. And uh, each center cost uh, 1.6 lakhs. Lakh is a term of rupees, the Indian currency, which is 100,000. So 1.6 being 160,000 uh, rupees per uh, location. And Sean, just off the top of your head, would you guess how much 160,000 rupees is? In U.S. dollars? Yeah. Uh, and, and mind you, this is technically in 2006, so there is a little bit of inflation, but let's not give a shit about that. Just 2019 dollars, what do you think? A hundred dollars. Wait, wait, wait. hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> you are both uh, wildly wrong. It's $5,000. Oh. So he built 10 of them, which is $50,000 worth in two years. So for two years, they got to be like, we're bringing the internet to India, when really he spent like a percent of a percent of his net worth and didn't really get that much done. 10 centers over two years is not that much progress, ladies and gentlemen. It's bullshit. And that was also approximately one thousandth of the uh, money he spent to go on TV and argue for Trump to right. be impeached. Right. So when it comes to this guy being, you know, you know, doing any social good, the reality is, is he's imagine like flying into India and seeing the slums and the lack of mm-hmm, clean water mm-hmm. and being like, you know what I have to do? Buy <laughs> ad space on the president's morning show to tell him he's bad man. What if what if he bought ad space in India? He could have a way bigger fan base. <laughs> Tom, sir, please, I, I'm so hungry and thirsty. I just want I just want food or water. Oh, you want Facebook? Y'all want Facebook? <laughs> we can get your Facebook. Because that's essentially what he's doing. I did want to say, I said that he got mortgage-backed securities. He was, Farallon Capital was selling mortgage-backed securities. What? Of course, everybody was in this shit. So it's like, yeah, another thing he did was uh, benefit from the bailout, like everyone, like Jeffrey Epstein did. It just came out. Uh, I mean, but, if we didn't bail out Jeffrey Epstein, who knows what the consequences would have been <laughs> for this. But, you know, as part of the quantitative easing, the Federal Reserve bought all these, like, worthless mortgage-backed securities and, uh, you know, didn't do anything to stop foreclosures, but uh, they certainly recapped capitalized all these people who were absolutely they, they about to get soaked 
Yeah, they foamed the runway. But so, you know, Tom, Tom Steyer. And it's like, look, I'm sure they were going to do it anyways, but I, it probably didn't hurt that he was a major investor in Obama's campaign. So he's the guy in the room who gets the access to be like, yeah, you should definitely buy my mortgage-backed securities portfolio at uh, 100% of market. The other thing that him and his wife started was this thing called the United Religions Initiative. And this is a multi-faith grassroots uh, initiative that uh, cultivates peace and justice by engaging people to bridge religious and cultural differences, right? Um, and in uh, 2000... Well, good luck if you got Episcopalians running it. <laughs> Not 2000, shaking hands with those perverts. In 2000, you are... This is, just, this is just an example of how low Episcopalian self-esteem <laughs> is, where they're like, you know what, we're just going to work with other religions. Who knows if we're right? Right, right. Well, yeah, in 2000, they, they did this thing called the 72 Hours for World Peace. And that happened uh, uh, September 11th. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, which more than 250 organizations did. But you know what's very funny? If you look up United Religions Initiative in Corruption, after the first like four pages, it's just straight up Catholic conspiracy, <laughs> UN New World Order religion. The fucking Episcopalians Wait. are starting a religion that's going to control everyone. You know what? Yeah. People think his shit is NWO. Yeah. It yeah. is kind of funny because, you know, because he's such a big Democrat funder, of course, you know, yes. Republicans always go into this George Soros thing mm -hmm. where they're like, these people are the puppet masters. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. Like, I'll go through in a second here some of the dirt that I got on him. Because, you know, he's the Republican funder, people think he's like the George Soros, right. the puppet master. People think he's like a puppet master character. And so, you know, of course, the, this kind of uh, conspiracy thinking will proliferate where it's like, yeah, he's the UN, <laughs> NWO, <laughs> organ harvesting, yep. child sex guy. Well, you, here's the thing. People, you know, they'll they'll say George Soros and they'll get anti-Semitic or they'll say it's right, the Catholic right. Church. They'll be anti-Catholic. But <laughs> let me let me let me tell you this. Uh -huh. Episcopalian Church of England. Who's at the top of that? Mm hmm. The Queen. Queen Elizabeth. Oh. Now, who has close connections to Jeffrey Epstein? Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew. <gasps> the Episcopalians are giving the religious credibility to run the Epstein. Wow. wow. It is yeah. kind of funny that, like, just nice. by virtue of funding Democrats, he is a uh, spread anti-Episcopalian bigotry <laughs> on the far right. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, it takes a couple of Googles to find conspiracy that's uh, that d d dark and dirty. But, you know, when you look at the, like, uh, press for United, what the fuck is it called? The United Religious Initiative. I mean, even the name just is like URI. And the, it's based in, you know, all you know a whole bunch of uh, countries around the world. And United Religious uh, in Initiative. Uh, we set up in Haiti and uh, we provide vaccines to the children <laughs> who... Sometimes walk out missing kidneys. Right. Sometimes don't walk out at all. We also offer uh, modeling opportunities <laughs> in Eastern Europe. <laughs> I mean, listen, in two years, there will have been 10 places in India to give people internet. In a country, there's people starving to death and uh, they don't have enough clean water. United, so, United, United Religion Initiatives, it operates out of Serbia, moving <laughs> young women into new lives oh, in no. Amsterdam. Oh, no. Look, these these poor refugees deserve a new opportunity in the new world, and that's that's what our foundation does <laughs> by bridging the communication divides between German businessmen and I think the Anglican and churches war and refugees of the Kosovo War. Jesus Christ! The Anglican Church is responsible for Brexit because they don't want those EU restrictions on human trafficking. <laughs> Man, fuck billionaires. Let's do the conspiracy podcast. <laughs> I'll, if if anyone, if there's one thing I want people to get away from this, it's that if you're Episcopalian, yeah, I want you to seriously consider Lutheranism. <laughs> you, you don't know the difference. I don't know that. No one knows the difference. But Episcopalians are uh, trafficking children. You mm. don't want part of that. That's true. Minimum. You know, there are a few other charities that him and Cat Taylor have started, and. I'm not saying they're all corrupt, but I am saying that they all have a veneer of look how great we are. All, all philanthropic um, entities of the billionaire ruling elite have some sort of we're doing this to save money here, here, and here. Um, with the Steyer family, a lot of their a lot of Tom's nieces and nephews work in a handful of charities that like they're loosely related to, but. There's not really that much information about Tom Steyer's uh, four children who are all in their 20s. 
Um, they all have like various San Francisco jobs. But the main thing about Tom, I think that everyone needs to hear, is that uh, he's another fucking Silicon Valley crook, and he has a veneer of I'm nice because I'm pretty sure his mom didn't like him as much as she liked his <laughs> older brother Jim. And Hume is not even in like the zeitgeist of the media. One last thing I want to mention. David Hume? Uh, no, Hume Stayer, the older brother. Oh, okay. uh, one last thing I want to say about uh, uh, Jim Stayer real quick is in 2014, there's this political article, Politico article where uh, Jim Stayer is quoted as, uh, as a guy who will be launching a political advocacy group and a super PAC may follow. And he's quoted as saying, you don't bring a squirt gun to a fight where the other guys have AK-47s. I will tell you this, we're fearless. So the Stair family is psychopaths. Uh, they have a drive in them that will ruin worlds of people, if not already has this world. You know, if you put hydrofluoric acid in that squirt gun, <laughs> you won't win the battle, but... <laughs> I did want to mention uh, from the LA Times, uh, when Stom- Tom Starr was running his head f- hedge fund in 2000, he wrote a letter to... This, yeah, from the LA Times. When Tom Steyer was running his hedge fund in the year 2000, he wrote a letter telling some wealthy investors their money would soon flow through an offshore company that would shield their gains from U.S. taxes. <laughs> Which, again... Is that his campaign slogan? <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein's entire thing right. was that was hiding money offshore, and it's like well, money and yeah, <laughs> yeah. What else you hide, John? <laughs> we forgot to mention this on the episode, but I knew about it. Was Deutsche Bank Deutsche Bank uh-huh. had to close the Jeffrey Epstein account in oh, January? Yeah, uh, and the thing is, they had to close it after this Miami Herald long piece came right, out. Right. But somebody, a compliance person within the bank, had been like, "Yeah, we should not have a Jeffrey Epstein account." <laughs> Sim- <laughs> Simply for PR reasons, yeah. and they overruled him. Was like, no, it's fine. And then the Miami Herald piece came out, and they had to close it because they credibly suspected he was laundering money connected to sex trafficking. Oh, through really? Them. And they were like, yeah, I guess now that they're writing articles about it, maybe the blowback will be too much. Right. But yeah, so Tom we just Steyer, need responsible capitalism. When did uh, Tom Steyer write that letter? Uh, the year two thousand. In the year two thousand. There also, it's also not like he um, was unaware of the private prisons that his company invested in for instance uh there was actually a movement amongst like yale faculty asking for them to uh disinvest from fairlong group and tom steyer released a statement saying we are very proud of the work we've done for (laughs) yale and then he did not address the private prisons (laughs) and did not agree to speak with any of the protesters fucking crook yeah um, so I wanted to mention just a couple things before we run out of time here. Uh, one last thing I want to say, yeah. sorry. Uh, Kat Taylor has been profiled in a couple of, uh, photos and one of them has her, uh, brandishing her tattoos. She's a badass woman and some jewelry, but then she's also wearing two watches and I don't know about you guys, but I don't respect most of what billionaires do, but I got to say rocking two watches. That's a solid billionaire move <laughs> because it's just insane enough to be same like same wrist oh that's yeah same wrist oh yeah of course the same wrist no the other wrist has jewelry on it you can't <laughs> um but for some reason if you want one wrist to be east coast the other west coast i mean that would make sense but i think yeah, two that's... watches on the same wrist just screams i don't give a fuck about your time now i got my time to deal with that's shit. interesting yogi because i was just looking on this fbi database of pedophile oh, symbology no. Oh, no. <laughs> and it looks like the two watches <laughs> are the symbol that means that i would like to start with a two-year-old please <laughs> Because the time is the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it counts down the amount of time before right. they kill the That's child. Right. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> it's actually. They have to sync their watches up. Yeah, like, like Yeah, I remember that from uh, Who Took Johnny Gosh. <laughs> if you actually look at the time on her watches, it's always off, and it, it seems to be pointing towards uh, some sort of uh, uh, numerology <laughs> code. What have we become? Yeah. We traded drops for conspiracy <laughs> you know, and child rape. You know what, what I, I, I kind of America. regret not bringing up, though I, I, I did want to, or I just couldn't find the right moment, mm-hmm. is uh, when we had Nick and Matt on. I was mm-hmm. like, I got to find a moment to ask them what they think about the Rothschilds being <laughs> very prominent in that black yeah. book. Oh, yeah. Um, you know a good way to get less accusations of anti-Semitism <laughs> against our podcast? <laughs> 
bring up the Rothschilds. Exactly. One thing I didn't mention about uh, Epstein's Black Book is he had three Trump names in it. It yeah. was Ivana Trump, Ivanka Trump, and Robert Blaine Trump, which is Donald's brother and his wife. Hmm. Yeah. Wait, his, his, like the brother who drank himself to death? Um, I don't think so. I think Robert oh, okay. Trump is just a guy that's alive and people don't think about because he's not Donald. <laughs> and his wife is Blaine. Blaine's a lady's name. If you look at her two watches, the hands are actually <laughs> forming a triangle <laughs> at all times. It's it's never an accurate time. It's just the triangle. She does have like a triangle tattoo, I'm pretty sure, on her shoulder. Let me, oh, great. Let, let me oh, sure. great. Let me confirm this before I... Before Let's I, just start talking shit and then terrify ourselves by being totally right. No, you know what? It's not a triangle. Oh. It's, it's like a sun symbol. But that's the new one. Yeah. It, she's got... An anchor tattoo. They worship the sun god. That's the entire point of the occult. <laughs> um, Wait, are you saying they're descendants of uh, Akhenaten? Yes. <laughs> Spiritual descendants. The Egyptians tried to stop it by removing all references to Akhenaten after uh, the death of King Tut, but mm. uh, they they kept it at bay for a while, sort of like those um, guardians and the original mummy movie well, right, i mean the yeah. original right. mummy Br- brendan of Fraser, our, uh, brendan Weiss, Fraser yes. mummy mm-hmm. the only mummy the only movie. mummy that we need to talk about yeah yeah the, the egyptians managed to keep it at bay for a while until uh, people discovered the miami herald hieroglyphics <laughs> which <laughs> revealed the entire conspiracy um okay so there's a couple things i want to get through before we run out of time here uh so peter schweitzer is kind of a right-wing muckraker uh, he writes this book, he's written the book Clinton Cash, he wrote this book Secret Empires, but it's relevant because essentially he talks about like George Soros and um, um, Tom Steyer here, right. and uh, the information he has on Tom Steyer is not inaccurate, sure. so I thought I'd just kind of share some of it real quick. Yeah, um, <clears throat> basically, uh, we mentioned he's a major funder for um, President Obama, so I just wanted to kind of go through some of the stuff that he invested in terms of American coal. In 2009, Farallon took a large, uh, quoting from, of course, his book, in 2009, Farallon took a large stake in Freight Car America, a company that, quote, specializes in the production of aluminum-bodied car-carrying rail cars. Um, oh, his dad knew how versatile those were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, the... Uh, Oh, yeah. So essentially rail cars that carry coal is what I'm trying to say there. Um, And then the other thing that they do is in 2011, they buy up more than 1.1 million shares of Massey Energy, which you might know from uh, Don Cocaine Mitch Blankenship (laughs) blowing up his employees there. (laughs) But it was something where essentially the uh, the accusation that uh, Peter Schweitzer makes, Mm -hmm. and I think it is kind of convincing, is that he goes and starts buying up coal companies on the cheap when the Obama administration regulatory environment kind of turns against coal companies. So he's able to, you know, we mentioned this uh, murder of employees at uh, Massey Energy. So he's able to buy that uh, 1.1 million shares on the absolute dirt cheap because of these kinds of events. Um, And so much of being like a hedge fund billionaire is like, Figuring out what something's actually worth if you change it slightly and then fighting to your death to make it that price in the future. Well, who is it? He was like, there are reports of him visiting Obama at the White House and just talking to him into the like early hours of the morning. And do you, like, it's it's just so bizarre because on the face he was saying like, oh, you know. Uh, I'm I'm advocating for a cleaner environment when right. you know you just like no and like he was probably being like well you know clean coal there is some potential to that well and so the other thing here is uh, Tom Steyer was a heavy opponent to, to Obama's face heavy opponent of the Keystone XL pipeline which mm-hmm. is like okay fine but just from this book yeah but uh, Tom just wanted to fight a black guy that's all that's happened there <laughs> from this book uh, Farallon's largest holding in the for- first quarter of 2012 while he's opposing the Keystone pipeline was El Paso Natural Gas Company a pipeline owner that was in the midst of being taken over by another pipeline operator mm. just so happens his this is his largest holding uh, it also takes Canadian tar sands out of the ground oh, and runs sure. them over the pipeline so right. it's like okay maybe he was sincere environmentally but it also happens that you're in investment will be a lot more profitable yeah. if Keystone doesn't get approved. Right. Guys, don't buy poison from my uh, enemies. Buy poison from me, your friend. Environmentalist. <laughs> with my poison, you can believe that you won't have to deal with their poison because you invested in my poison. That's what this guy's selling. 
Right. Oh, so to be clear, Kinder Morgan was uh, in the process of taking it over, and they were the ones who had their own pipeline connecting the Canadian tar sands, mm. car sa- tar sands to a port in uh, Pacific. And uh, I guess last thing from this book, he also, uh, Farallon, grabbed a number of other fossil fuel companies at this crucial time, uh, 100,000 shares of an oil drilling company called Schlumberger LTD, 236,000 shares of ultra petroleum, and a large chunk of an oil and natural gas producer and Canna Corporation. Um, Did you say Schlumberger? Yeah, something like that. S C H L U M B E R G E R. I think this time we actually think you pronounced it right. It's just a funny name for yeah, the company. Yeah. <laughs> Schlumberger Millionaire. <laughs> My dad was a Schlumberger. His dad's dad was a Schlumberger. All we know is Schlumberger's here. Watch My it. family has a proud tradition of not being taken seriously. <laughs> But the thing is, so he steps down from Farallon in 2012 and like goes to global anti-global warming right, full right. time. But he still invests. He still invests his money in Farallon, which mm-hmm. is in all this fucking coal, all this oil, these private prisons and shit. Um, so he's still investing his money there. And one last thing from the book: uh, Stayer enjoyed high-level private access at the White House while his firm was making these trades. Mm-hmm. Between 2009 and 2012, he had multiple intimate meetings with top leadership at the White House. Eating butt. According to White House logs, he met with. Rahm Emanuel, the White House Chief of Staff, for six hours on September 29, 2009. Another meeting March 4, 2010. Oh, both times. So September 29 (laughs) and March 4, he he met uh, for six hours with Rahm Emanuel. Uh, Oh, that guy. He's never been corrupt. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah, Rahm, you know, funny thing I learned uh, from my uh, investment buddies, but if you want to cover up a murder... That, that, that's Rahm Emanuel's role in the Epstein scandal. He's really good at making videotapes disappear. <laughs> uh, so in 2011, he met twice with the, uh, at that time, new White House Chief of Staff, Bill Daly. In 2012, he met regularly with Pete Roos. Um, and then in 2014, he had four meetings with uh, John Podesta, who was then the White House counselor. So again, these are all during the time that he's able to, right. uh, like, even after 2012, he's still invested in that fund. Yeah. You know, so he has incentive to be like, hey, maybe hey, you should you buy know, this. Right, right. Did you know that if you if you help me kill the earth, I'll make money from it? Hmm. Why is this good for me? Well, you can invest in it too. Oh, I liked, I just read this. In February 2013, he spoke at an anti-Keystone XL rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was organized by environmentalist Bill McKibben, and apparently McKibben asked Tom Steyer to join the protest by tying himself to the White House gate <laughs> and getting arrested, but Tom Steyer uh, was dissuaded by his brother. <laughs> it's like, boo! <laughs> you could do one good thing, right, get arrested right. at the White House. It's like, what, you can't afford Nerd. a lawyer? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you'll be able to get out of jail. Right, right. Don't worry about it, Tom. I feel like Tom Steyer's trajectory in life is like he just spends an hour pouring beer on the floor, and then he's like, "Oh, I can stop this. I'll dilute it with my pee." <laughs> it is technically diluting it. You know how he could redeem himself would be uh, cover himself in coal and light himself on fire <laughs> outside of the White House. He doesn't, he doesn't support those industries anymore, Sean. Yeah. It's got to be something else. One last thing to mention here. His platform, it's like, it's fine. The, the other candidates it's not. are... It's yeah, I mean, stupid. It's, it's fucking... Oh, hey, fuck. It's a I'm, postcard. I'm Trump. It's views, but his less techni- technically less money and sway. But I think a billionaire outsider can do what a political person that runs the system from their experience and know-how wouldn't be able to do because they don't know how to not poison the world for their fucking profit. Well, Trump made like tangible promises, like lock her up. Um, <laughs> Another which, promise broken. I know. but like, He didn't say which her, by the way. He just yeah. said lock her up. Tom Steyer's five rights, it looks like he just, someone challenged him to have a more platitudinal... Uh, campaign mm-hmm. than well, Clinton or Obama. Just one he, thing I want to mention, like if you're maybe a liberal person and you watch his like platform video, he says like fine things like what single payer or whatever. Right, right. But then he also is like, and we're going to have term limits. And the thing is, term limits have been pushed by the Cato Institute for a very good reason, which is that if if you are an incumbent running against somebody, say you're a progressive incumbent, you might have an advantage that 
offsets your disadvantage in cash because you actually deliver things to your constituents. Right. If you are two unknown people both running for an open seat, whoever has more money has a big advantage there. Yeah, of course. So the nice thing with term limits and why the Cato Institute and other right-wing billionaires push them is they have that cash advantage. So as long as there are more open seats, it's much easier for them to get their unknown people in there. So until you take money out of politics, term lim lim limits is a horrifically right-wing idea. It's a Band-Aid on a situation where yeah. they need stitches. I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a horrifically right-wing idea, but it's it, that's probably where, yeah, those ideas are coming from. Well, that's one of the, one of the five rights. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there was one last thing I needed to get Andy's reaction to, and we forgot to now. Go In on. The Guardian, mm -hmm. The Guardian asked him about the idea of a uh, billionaire running for president on a progressive platform. Uh, he said this to The Guardian. Should we put a limit on what Beyonce makes? I don't see why. <laughs> I don't think people in the United States of America, we should put a ceiling on how far people can go. And then he transitioned to a critique of communism with the <laughs> argument, quote, at the heart of every great, uh, he criticizes the argument that at the heart of every great fortune is a crime, which Tom, you're welcome on the podcast. We will have this respectful debate with yeah, you. Come this on down. The thesis of our podcast. The drops are coming back. Yeah. He says, <laughs> quote, what Karl Marx failed to take into consideration was software. That if you are, are Michael Jackson or Rihanna or Beyonce or anyone producing an idea with software, you aren't just the best singer in your village. You have an ability to reproduce that song infinitely at very low cost around the world. Well, I will say that Rihanna and Michael Jackson are very famous coders. And um, people have come out to say that, you know, uh, conceptually, Marx did account for uh, the invention of software in the Grundrisse. Right. But in answer to that, you know, maybe the, the Grundrisse uh, wasn't really published until... Uh, decades and decades after the death of Karl Marx and isn't really included in the typical Marxist canon. So I think, you know, maybe Tom Steyer just only read the the big ones like the Communist Manifesto and uh, Capital and isn't aware of the Grunriza. So, you know, maybe he can be forgiven for making that, um, you Comparison. know, kind of error. Yeah. I just like to imagine him saying Michael Jackson on the phone to the Guardian and his advisor being like, no, 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 <laughs> not Michael Jackson. That's not the example you want to use, Tom. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Uh, so we'll see if Tom Steyer's presidential campaign gets traction. Wait, I want to get Red Scare numbers. Michael Jackson did nothing wrong. <laughs> and with that, this is when Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Let's talk about what's in your win column. You poured $120 million into the midterms. Some would say you, you won the House back for the Democrats. Millions into campaigns against uh, big oil, against big tobacco, against corporate tax uh, loopholes. Why is $100 million running for president money well spent? Well, Michelle, I don't think it's about the money. Sorry, I sorry, Michelle, I don't think it's about the money. I sorry, nigga, nah. Michelle, I don't think it's about the money.